Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Eight hundred eight two three eight two five five. Good morning. That is our number here in the garden. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy. We are talking about gardening as we move our way through the month of May. And what do you say we kick off our show with the cup of Joe? That would be Joe Strecker, our executive producer. We'll find out what's going on in his lawn, his landscape, and of course our website at ronwilsononline.com. What a weather week! What? Why? why? Nice and warm. Oh. Are you used to it? Starting to, I love it. Do you? Well, I know you like the warm weather. But it doesn't, it seems like it takes me about two weeks to kind of get in the groove because you know you've been used to the cooler temperatures. Now all of a sudden it's hot, but now it's so, suddenly not hot, but humid as well. Not me, man. So you have to adjust to it a little bit. Not me. No adjustment here. Finally get into the groove, and then you're okay. No adjustment here. It takes needed. me about two weeks. Yep. I'm, I'm in the adjustment period right now. Not me, man. I'm ready. I was ready when it was 30 degrees two weeks ago. How about at home? What do you do there right now? Air conditioner on? Air conditioner. Well, no. The, the, the girls are really mad at me. They really want the air conditioner what on. I'm like, no way. Oh, you're Mr. Stickler. No way. It's not air conditioner time. It's not? It's 80 degrees. It's high it's, humidity. It's not hot. It's That's why we got fans. Is my dad in here? No, Is I don't think father? so. my father saying so. that? All right. So, fine. There's... So, so we there's, don't have. There's Grace texting me right now. Can I turn the air conditioner on? No. So we, so we don't have the air conditioner on, but yet your mom and dad's probably. Oh, they never have. It could be a hundred degrees in July. Yeah. And ninety nine point nine percent humidity, they wouldn't turn the air conditioner on. Really? No. Really? Nope. Hmm. So half the house is. Cool. Half the house is. I, I at least when it's July and August when. It's air conditioner. Wet. I at least turn the air conditioner on then, but yeah. it's May. Okay. Well, how do you, how do you do that in the winter time with the heat? What do you mean? Do you all like the same heat? Now, well, well, yeah. Well, when it's uh, when it's winter time, yeah, I keep it cold. I keep it about sixty five, sixty six. Right. But my parents they crank it up. Seventy two, seventy three. So you keep it cold, and you run the pellet stove. Yeah. Okay. That's why I bought it. Well, yeah, I know. But right. yeah, and then it's or hibernate in the basement, and then it's seventy. Yeah, well, I got a heater down there too. But it's, yeah, seventy three, seventy four during the winter time, and you know, well, they're older and they like it warm. Yeah, they like it warm. You do what your mother wants. Yeah, if mom's not happy, no one's happy. That's right. Do what your mom wants. Yeah, nice lady. So, so yeah, it, I'm loving this weather. 
Good. And uh, lawns been mowed a couple times. A little lightning. Uh, Thursday night. Thursday Friday night. Morning. Did you see that? I saw it driving in. I wake up with lightning, and what do I think right away? I don't know if Joe saw that. Joe saw it. <laughs> Joe saw it on the way, and he had a nice light show on his drive into work. There you go. And uh, as a light show of, um, yesterday coming into the radio station, too. Cool. Um, Because there were some storms north of, of Cincinnati uh, in Butler County. And I saw all the, the lightning coming so in. So you looked north and saw the light. Oh, yeah. That's the way I drive. So Got it. So, so how was... Uh, what, what what's growing? How is the? Because uh, you said Mother's Day is one of the best time for planning. Well, you know what, Mother's Day we sell a whole lot of plants. It's always been a, one of the major weekends for garden centers, and uh, because you know you're not only you're buying stuff for mom, but you're getting kicked you know kick off for the gardening season, and you put all that together with the fact that we had great weather Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I think most garden centers are probably uh, controlled or out of control chaos. Uh, a lot of people are getting getting started, but this is a real strong week this week. Uh, today and tomorrow, of course, will be a, a t- a strong days as well, and next week too. And I just remind people that, you know, everybody gets out right now to do all this, but you've got plenty of time to plant annuals and vegetables and things like that. So we're just getting started. So, well, I know, you know. And, and the adage was, you know, if you don't get it now, then you might as well just, I mean, and, and why, the selection why, why is may that? not, well, the selection why is that? Why do people think that because, if you don't do it now, that, you won't have any plants in June or something. Because they come back, they, they may show up the 1st of June, and you've only got um, three types or four types of impatiens and begonias and geraniums and maybe four types of tomatoes, not the 112. Yeah. So then it's like you're out of. Well, you're not out of. You're, not, you're just out of You're just out of selections. 112 selections, but you still have the – and it's usually what you have at that point are the, the tried and trues, the durable – Ones that are really going to do you well. Which are fine. Which are actually the ones that are the bread and butters of the entire spring season. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you don't come in, you don't have all those selections, and you're out of. And you're not out of. You're not out of. you, you got plenty of plants. You just happen to have a little yeah, I never, I never understood so. that. People think, oh, my gosh, it's June 1st. Now we're not going to have to yeah. plant anymore. It's like, what? Well, you know me after all these years. I get to see other garden centers right on through June. And if I find something different, a tomato or pepper, I plant right up until about the 4th of July. Yeah. And then I'm pretty well finished at that point. But uh, so, yeah, I still, you know, technically I'm looking at another month and a half yet. So, well, I mean, easily. Yeah, because you still got all the sun, you got all the, the summer bloomers that are coming. Oh, yeah. And, and then, of course, the perennials. Fall, yeah. June becomes perennial month, and perennials, garden centers keep perennials going all summer long. I mean, you go in there, and they're in containers. So, I do is slide them out of the pot, put them in the ground. So, you go in the yeah. garden centers during the summer, see what's in flower at that particular time. Kind of like, you know, does your homework for you already because now you know what's going to bloom at that point. And then you take it on planet and you're good to go. So Yeah, I mean, I never understood that. Well, never understood just that. just the mindset of some folks. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. That's hmm. just the way it is. Hmm. And uh, you were able to identify that plant, that, that mystery plant that I keep on forgetting what the name of it is. And, yeah. I, and every year I say, and I tell is you that that flower that like plant, that all summer? It will, it will stop usually mid-June is when it stops. It won't flower all summer. So you don't see any more color on it the rest of the year. Mm. So it's a one-shot one flower? Yeah, it, it'll one shot and it'll actually one or two shots, and then usually it'll stop around June. I'm pretty sure that was a, a thornless rose. But I, I would have thought it would have flowered more during the summertime. No, I think it stopped. I, don't know, I could be wrong. 
Hmm. I'm going off a of memory here, and my memory is shot. Is just shot. My hard drive. You're getting full. so old. It's shot. My hard drive's full. Is it? What was that one cool plant that one year you gave me where it was almost like a, as a defense mechanism, it like would, you would touch the branch and as a defense mechanism it would move. Sensitive plant. Yeah. Yeah. That was very cool. Did they fold it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We have we have a table of those right near the checkout, so all the kids that are when they're leaving. Get to see those right before they, you see them all stop there. They yeah. wear them out because you just keep everybody's touching them and they're all folded yeah. up. Ten minutes later, they're open back up again. It's a sensitive plant. Those are very cool. Yeah, I used to bring them back to you from uh, Dills up in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we grow them too. Yeah, I got to get one of those. The yeah. girls love those when kids that one year that you gave it. To yeah, them. the kids love those things. Very, but they actually wear them out. Very neat. We have to kind of change them in and out. So yeah, the same one doesn't stay on the table. So, so cool. Yeah. So. What is going on on the website this well, week? Well, it's ronwilsononline.com. What would you post up there this week? Oh, maybe one or two articles. As, you, as we scroll as through. As we scroll through two pages. goes and goes and goes and goes. Yeah, this week there's a ton of, of information, mostly vegetable stuff, because it is vegetable season. That it is. Uh, we got some tomatoes, avocados, and if you mix those together, you can make a good guac. Mm, guac. And next to it, you got you put some, garlic in your some, guac. Some, do I put garlic in my guac? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, Megan, Megan makes it with garlic. I put mayo in mine. Hmm. Avocado, onion, mayo, little cilantro. She does no mayo, garlic, onion, tomato. Mm-mm-mm. And there's a and it, that kind of goes into Rita's recipe of the week, which yes. is uh, pepper and fennel slaw. Hmm. Wonder what that goes with. Anything, pepper and fennel. Do you like bell peppers? I like bell peppers. You like them green I'm, or red? I'm not really. You know what? I'm I'm an equal opportunity pepper. So you eater. like the bitterness of the green bell pepper? Yeah, I can eat all. But I you like eat. the sweetness of the of the red bell pepper? Is it changes color or yellow or, or orange? Yellow or, or orange? I mean, I'll, I'll eat all all the peppers. That doesn't bother okay. me at all. But the green pepper or the bitterness of that, you like that? Yeah, that's fine. I, that I like that on the grill. Doesn't bother me at all. A lot of people don't like green peppers. Yeah. I love them on the grill. Uh, Buggy Joe has, it, I guess it, it's bug week because not only. Was, oh, it's just getting crazy a, out there now. Of, uh, and plus the cicadas are, are coming. Now tell us about the cicadas. Well, we're having that uh, four-year early emergence of the 2021 cicada. And, you uh, mean they're not they're invading not right the area like everyone has been well, claiming? Were, well, the thing of it was, they, you know, the, how they take the stories and put the headlines on them. It wasn't going to be an invasion. It was just going to be an early yeah. emergence of some of them. And they weren't really sure how many were going to come up other than the fact that they were going to come up. So the deal was, you know, if they come up, report it so we know where they are and yeah. how many you got. And really, it hasn't been all that much. It, it's been here. I mean, we've got some good numbers, but... Not like uh, not like everybody thought it was going to happen. It's still going to be twenty twenty one is going to be the big year, but uh, yeah, there's a few pockets of them out there, and it's kind of neat to see them. So who's but, happy that we're talking about the cicadas? Who would be happy about yeah. that? Monkeys, dogs, cats. Well, who's the guy? Who's the guy who was Gene to Krisky. Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. Yeah, St. Joe's. There you go. Yeah, the, the cicada man and Buggy Joe. Buggy Joe. Oh, of course, Buggy. Well, Joe. Well, I mean, yeah, he's got his he's got his nose in there too. So. So and we got a, a ton of updates uh, with 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 Buggy Joe and the and bugs this week. Uh, a couple of tips from you about keeping your plants blooming, including deadheading. A little deadheading. And um, what? And oh, we mentioned this uh, yesterday on on the local the show, show 
the wisteria that hugged the tree to death. That's was that, pretty cool. Was that cool? That's very cool. Uh, the lady sent me the picture, and I fired right back and said, do you mind if we post that on our website? She said, what? No, she said it would. No, so you she, got a she knows the show. No, she knows the <laughs> website. But she said yeah, that'd be great. And the, the whole point being is that Wisteria, yeah, uh, was growing up a tree. Whoever the previous owner that lived there, her, that's her son's house. Yeah, uh, and the Wisteria actually took over the tree and, and choked it gir- out, girdled it. Choked the it tree's out. dead now. Wow. The Wisteria is the tree, but it's a pretty cool picture. Yeah, so, but it hugged the tree to death. Hmm. So be sure and check that out. Uh, tons of photo galleries uh, of stuff that maybe you'll be interested in your landscape, including hydrangea trees, um, edible plants. I mean, we we'll, we'll kind of focus on the edibles this week. Um, but finally, the regular plants of the week. Um, yeah, what'd you pick? The the Joe Strecker plant of the week is the Easy Does It Rose. Easy Does It. My favorite. I got one of those, and it's blooming, and it is easy. And it's also called the Gary Sullivan Rose. Yep, it's in Gary's, right in his realm. It's in his wheelhouse right as it, Yep, as a easy does it. So that's the uh, the easy does it rose. I'll Beautiful tell you what. coral orangey color. Everybody that buys that easy does it and takes it home. We've had a couple that were lost over the winter, but for the most part, absolutely love that thing. Fragrant. They all look different. Curly, roughly leaves. But the fragrance is unbelievable. And that color. I, I like that peachy orange coral right. blend. And a profuse bloomer, great in containers, great in the ground. But I remember when that first came out and we brought it in here, you love that thing. It's gorgeous. But it's uh, it's one of my favorites as well, but it's called Easy Does It. Easy Does It. And the real plan of the week, which is the Ron Wilson plan of the week. Well, they're both the real plan of the week. <laughs> Nep, Nepeta Bassanil. Bassini? Close. Bassini. It's got way too many vowels. Bassini. Or Catmint. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. And it's it's a hybrid. It's cat mint, not nip. Um, and it's nepeta. And it's a, there's this whole series of those, but Walker's Low was kind of like the first one that really got introduced into the market several years ago. Great ground cover, kind of a mounding plant. Um, but the lavender flowers that come out right now, pollinator magnet. Yeah. You shear them Tell off. Tell me about it. Back up again. Shear them off. Back up again. Shear. It does it all the way through October. Tell Tough, durable. Rabbits won't eat it. Deer won't eat it. I got Fragrant foliage. I got, you got I, it. I, I got one of those, and I'm not kidding. That thing. It's a it, workhorse. Yeah. It will come back and back and yeah. keep on coming Once back. you plant that thing, it's uh, you, you'll plant three or four of them. Yeah. But it's uh, that just happened to be one of the many series that's out there now. Little Titch, Cat's Meow. There's a whole bunch of them. They all grow a little bit differently. But um, cat mint, yes. it happens to be Walker's Low, is, is uh, my choice for Plant of the Week because it's just now coming into bloom. And guest today. Yeah, we have Stacy Best is back. She's back, finally. She is, uh, she's been gone. She's going to tell us about what, where she's been doing. But we've got her at the top of the next hour, and she's going to talk a little bit about um, gardening if you have arthritis. Yeah. Uh, gar- tips on uh, protecting your joints and, and gardening with arthritis. We're going to talk about that. And uh, get you back hooked up with her as far as her uh, newsletters and things like that. And then, of course, Gary Saul with Home Improvement. Joe Boggs. Buggy Joe Boggs with Buggy Joe Boggs Report. And, and of course, you always and kicking me it off with and, you. Uh, and the callers in between. Them and me. Would that yep. be them and me? That's it. Talking about yarding in between. I, well, I better get out of here so we can start talking to him. Joe Strecker, our executive producer. If you like what you see on our website, which is ronwilsononline.com. He has everything to do with it. If you don't like what you see. Not my fault. He had nothing to do with it. Let Zach know everything that you don't like about it at 800-823-8255. Here in the garden with Ron Wilson. 
Got gardening questions? Ron has the answers at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Good morning. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Kind of a foggy morning here this morning. As a matter of fact, when I came in, was it foggy when you came in, uh, Ralph? Was it? Yeah? Uh, by the way, I called him Ralph. Dr. Z today, uh, Zach, is dressed as uh, Ralph Macchio from the uh, Karate Kid. He's got his karate uh, banner on and his uh, T-shirt and whole nine yards. He's been standing on his chair in that goofy pose you know with the foot up and all that kind of stuff jumping on his chair and i know uh human resources here would not go for that and the safety and all that kind of stuff so you know hopefully he'll get down but i guess i'm guess mr uh miyagi is it miyagi yeah so i have to come up with all kinds of quotes today uh from mr miyagi wax on wax off i want you to keep that one in mind but get out off the chair okay but uh, dr z he will take your calls dressed as ralph macchio today and uh, we're, here, we're here to help answer all those gardening questions for you. And, of course, if you've got a gardening tip, 800-823-8255. Our, fa- our website, ronwilsononline.com, as Joe Schrecker was talking about early, earlier, loaded with all kinds of great information. As a matter of fact, one thing we didn't mention on there today, and, and there's great pictures for you. Buggy Joe Boggs now has, uh, he has something new he does this year with, uh, with the OSU Extension and uh, Beagle, B-Y-G-L, is they post something on the blog uh, every day. So when they're out and about and they see things going on, they just take pictures, write about it, and post it. And so all of that that comes in, uh, and they send them, you know, like I get those, and then we send them to Joe, and he posts them on the uh, website. So you see things that he's seeing throughout the week, and, of course, he'll talk about one or two of them uh, later on in our show. But you'll find those on there at ronwilsononline.com. But there's one thing on there I want to talk about when we come back from the break. It's about the history behind lawns in America. 800-823-8255 here in the garden with Ron Wilson. How is your garden growing? Call Ron now at 1-800-823-TALK. You're listening to In the Garden with Ron Wilson.
Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Taking your calls, questions, tips, we're here for you. Talking about our website earlier, uh, ronwilsononline.com. Uh, and there's a uh, there's a there's an article we posted on there, which I thought was very good. And this has been out for a while. And someone sent it to me a couple weeks ago and said, have you ever read this? And, uh, I, you know, obviously I said, yes, I have. But uh, I said, you know, it's a great one. It's something we need to post and have other people uh, read it as well. It's called Why We Are Obsessed With Our Lawns. And it talks about the history of the lawn, how it all got started here in, in uh, America. Um, and it, it's a it's a very interesting story. It talks about uh, livestock and uh, dying, you know, eating up everything during the summertime and not having anything to graze on in the winter and how that became important and started bringing grass seed over from Europe, uh, Kentucky bluegrass and all that, and how farmers started growing their own grass seed and uh, the whole nine yards, but basically starting out of foraging for uh, for the animals and then on from there and how it became the lawns today and how we are obsessed with our lawns. And I think it's a pretty cool uh, pretty cool article to read and learn how we did that, and it's a, it's a good one. And those are the types of articles that we try to post on our website to give you something to read as you walk, as you uh, scroll through, and also uh, learn a few things as well. Some good tip sheets on you for on there for you too. And at the top of this thing, you know, we always do our plant of the week, and Joe picks a couple plants, and I'll pick a couple plants, and things like that, kind of give you some things to take a look at. But one thing we posted at the very top of this was I thought was very comical, and take a look at it. It's a it's called Wisteria hugs tree to death. One of our listeners emailed me a picture. This past week, and I think this is at her son's house, bought a house, and it's a huge old tree. I mean, huge tree. And someone had planted a wisteria at the base of the tree and let the wisteria grow up into the tree. So the tree became the wisteria's trellis. The problem is, and when you look at it, the first thing you do is you smile because they took a... um, you know those uh, ceramic faces that you can tack onto the side of a tree so it looks like the tree's got eyes and a nose and the eyebrows and he's smiling? He tacked that on there, and then the wisteria is kind of going up around the side, so it looks kind of like his arms and all. And then, of course, the wisteria up top, and it's in flower, and it, it, it makes you smile because it's a really cool picture. The kicker is, if you look closely around the base of the tree... The wisteria vine, and it's huge. This thing is uh, probably, I don't know, six inches in diameter. The wisteria vine actually girdled the tree and caused it to die. At the very base, you can see where it wrapped around there, and it just squeezed that tree to death. But it's a pretty interesting. It's, it's a great picture, funny picture, uh, very cool. And the wisteria, that's a Chinese wisteria, by the way. Uh, Buggy Joe Boggs pointed that out this week. Uh, but it's a very cool, uh, very cool picture. But the point being is that question comes up a lot of times about whether or not I can allow vines to grow on my trees. Wisteria, trumpet vine, honeysuckle, things like that that have huge vines like that picture should not be allowed to grow up in living trees for that exact reason, plus the weight and the competition. Usually the questions that come up are whether or not I should let the English ivy or Boston ivy sometimes or Virginia creeper or even Euonymus coloratus that will start to climb up in trees. Is it okay to let those climb, which can develop pretty good-sized vines over time, but for the most part, have a tendency the vines are smaller and will grow pretty much in an upright or spiraling around the tree fashion. 
And for many, many, many years, I always said, you know, if you like the look, leave it alone, especially for larger, big, old trees. Uh, leave it alone. If you like the look of the ivy growing up in there, let it go. And if you don't, then go around the base of the plant, cut it off, uh, the vines off, and they'll die and eventually come out of the tree. Um, but, you know, otherwise, I never had any problem with it. I never saw a tree that was actually killed by vines, euonymus, ivy, that type of vine. Uh, it may have masked over issues that the tree had that we couldn't see. Um, for smaller trees, it can become very competitive, and I think weaken the tree to a point that if something else would happen to the tree, would put it over the edge. Um, but otherwise, that's you know, I used to say just let it go. But I think I've gotten over the years more and more where I've, I've gotten to the point where I don't like the ivy and coloratus and things growing on trees anymore. And uh, at this point, I still will say if you like it, leave it alone. But I personally have changed my opinion. A flip-flopper right here. A flip-flopper. And uh, now I say no, I don't like that up there. Never with smaller trees. Never with evergreens because they could become too competitive. Um, but I just don't. And here's a situation, like I say, that doesn't count. Th- those those aren't the types of vines we're talking about, and you definitely don't want that growing around your tree. And that gives you a good example why not. But over the years, I have changed my mind on that one, and I think that as I've seen trees down the road, and I've seen, you know, you'll see huge, huge oaks and maples and elms that have uh, ivy up in them doing exceptionally well. And the, the ivy's up in them, and it looks great. I mean, I you know, and it looks fine. And like I said, if you like it and the tree seems to be healthy, leave it alone. But for the most part, I've kind of backed off of that and said, you know, I'm 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 not for that. Don't let it start to grow up there. And by the way, if you do go, if you have that and you decide you want to get rid of it, the thing to do is to go around the base of the tree and cut everything off at the ground level. When you do that, you've separated, obviously, the top vine from the what's the source of food down into the ground. But I'll tell you this much, in many cases, especially with Euonymus coloratus, and we learned this at my... Uh, daughter and son-in-law's house where we went he went through and cut all those out uh it took a good two seasons for those vines to totally die out and there was enough energy stored in those it took two solid seasons for everything to eventually turn brown so now the deal is you just let it go until the uh, roots that are clinging into the bark of the tree eventually start to decay the vines will start to fall out of the tree, and they become very easy to pull out without pulling the bark off the tree. So don't be too anxious about pulling those uh, vines out of the tree if you decide to do this, because you would, pull, in some cases, pull the bark off, and that's not what you're looking to do. So cut them off at the ground. If they start to re-sprout at the ground level, spot treat them with a roundup, kills all, clean up, something like that, and that should keep them from re-sprouting. Give those vines plenty of time to die up top. They'll lose all their leaves eventually. Those hair roots will start to decay. You'll see the top starting to fall a little bit. And next thing you know, you can grab them just like a big rope, and they come right off for you. So let's keep that in mind. But, again, that's kind of changed my mind over the years, and I'm not I'm not in favor of letting those grow up on trees anymore. But, again, that's a decision you have to make because, like I say, I personally have never seen a tree killed with English ivy or Euonymus coloratus growing up the side of the tree. It can become competitive. Uh, but but have never really taken one out. But take a look at this picture of the wisteria. Cool picture. Looks really funny. You laugh, and it's a it's a great thing. But on the same token, we learned a lesson from it. Looking at those vines planted around the base of that tree. To the gardening phone lines, we shall go eight hundred eight two three eight two five five. Stephen, Nebraska. How's the weather out there this morning? Well, it's a little chilly. Thirty six degrees, and it's rainy. Thirty six degrees. 
Yes, indeed. Woo! I heard you had a little cold front out there, but 36. Wow. So you got the tomatoes and peppers planted? Well, no, but I got the poison ivy and the and the, and the, uh, the poison oak going. Uh oh. Uh, well, that's a, that's a defensive plant I got around my property to keep the neighbor kids from stealing my fruit off my tree. <laughs> well, that, that works, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. I was going to invite you and Joe out to see. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, uh, listen, as I was falling asleep listening to the show, it occurred to me, uh, how would I go about... Uh, Growing my own, uh, reusing my own seeds off of what I grow. So Do like, I have to use heirloom uh, seeds. If you're if you if you're working with tomatoes, you have to use heirloom seed because if you use hybrid seeds, they may not come true to seed from what you had growing there originally. It's a cross between two different parents, and so you'll get something from one or the other parent, but doubt that you'll get the same tomato. With heirlooms, you typically get the same tomato each time you grow the seed. So that's good. Peppers are pretty good about being open-pollinated that, for the most part, you'll get the same pepper, from in most cases, uh, by saving pepper seeds. Squash and things like that, absolutely. Can you save the seeds and come back? You can. If you grow different types of squash that can cross-pollinate, sometimes they can cross-pollinate. You get something, something a little different the following season, but those seeds can be saved for you as well. If you decide to save those seeds, obviously when uh, when the fruit is ripe is when they take those seeds out, you would let them dry. You would put them in an envelope or a jar, and you want to store them at about 40, 45 degrees. Um, if your refrigerator stays around that low, you know, the low 40s, that'll work for you. Sometimes folks keep them a little bit colder than that. It stays too cold, but right around 40 degrees is a good temperature to store them. They may last a year or two for you, but yes, you can absolutely do that if you want to try to reseed saves uh, seeds for the following season. All right, so they do have to be heirloom. Yeah, they're open pollinated is what is what that's all about, especially for the tomatoes. Otherwise, well, like like I say, you know, you you'll still get plants and you'll still get fruit off of the off the hybrid seeds. It's just that it's not what it you know what you had planted originally. Okay, well, I'm looking mainly at corn. And and with corn, as long as you're only growing one variety there and it's pollinating oh. itself, shouldn't be an issue at all. Oh, okay, well, great. Uh, that, that really helps. Uh, okay, well, thanks a lot. And uh, you and Joe ever get the chance, come on out and walk through my yard. I, I'd really love to see the look on your guys' face. And, and bring the Zanfell with me so if I get through the poison oak and the poison ivy, uh, yeah, we'll be able to have some Zanfell to make sure we clean that off of there. And uh, Dr. Z, are you interested in doing that? A little road trip to Nebraska? He is in. 800-823-8255, here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson.
Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Foggy morning here this morning. Carol in Ohio, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good to hear you. <laughs> How are we I doing today? I to your show. Thank you. Um, I called you last year. I had those knockout roses. Mm-hmm. And they get these uh, like white spots or whatever it is on the leaves and just like eat holes in it. Yes. And I, I did what you said with the spray in that. And, you know, I cut it back. I always cut it back in the fall. and uh, But it came back this year, and, man, it's just covered with it. Yeah. yeah. Remember what we, what we talked about, what those were. Those are little sawfly larvae that look like caterpillars. Uh-huh. That are feeding on the underside of the leaf, yeah. And to you know, they'll get started right off the bat. And, and with the way the weather's been this year, as far as early warmth, they got off to a very early start. And okay. I, you know, I'm looking around at ro- not just knockout roses, and of course, everybody's got knockout roses, so you see more of them. But looking around, and pretty much all the roses right now are just getting hammered with uh, with the uh, the uh, rose slugs. And uh-huh. there's two or three types of them, and there are multiple generations. But basically, they look the same, and they do the same damages. So what you're doing is you're trying to protect them both within the plant by using a systemic insecticide that's put around the base of the plant, whether it's a water-soluble or granular, that is taken up by the plant to the inside. And when you do that, as they feed on the leaves, then obviously they ingest the the systemic insecticide, and it kills the sawfly larvae. Okay. And and you back that up then with the sprays that we probably talked about, like insecticidal soap, horticultural okay. oil, uh, quite a few sprays. But you have to spray the bottom of the leaf, not the top of the leaf. Oh, that's what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, so you got to spray from the bottom up. Now, here's one thing you can do. If you don't want to do a lot of uh, leaf spraying, do the systemic for sure. And that way it's taken up inside the plant. And that will give you about a six- to eight-week coverage. And okay. then go out about every four or five days with your garden hose and with a real strong stream of water and blow from the bottom of the rows up. And what you do when you do that, you'll actually knock them off of the leaves out onto the ground. They're like a bunch of guys. <clears throat> they won't ask for directions. They're lost. <laughs> Done deal. And then oh, you don't my, have to spray son. so often. So, you know, do the, so do the systemic for sure. Okay. And then and then maybe get yourself. What did you use for spray? What are you, what are you using for spray? Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of the name of it. Okay. It's, uh, for roses. Okay, and, uh, that, that's good. What we'll do yeah. then is we'll do the systemic, and then about every three or four days, go outside and blow those things off with a garden hose, and okay. in between, maybe about once every uh, seven days or so, use the insecticide as a spray. So you'll alternate. You won't be spraying as much insecticide that way. And you'll kind of get rid of them from the inside out and from blowing them off with the garden hose. Uh, one more quick question. Mm-hmm. I just got a new dogwood. Um, is there anything that I really need to, you know, uh, to put on that or, you know, uh, uh, you know, to, to get it going good or just leave it go? You got to plant it, right? Yeah, okay. I did it the way they said from where I got it from over in Blue Ridge. Okay, that's good. So you've got it in the ground. you got it planted. I think uh-huh. the keys right now are if you want to use a root stimulant or plant starter solution, 
That's good, and you can use that to water once or twice this spring to water in around the base of the tree. That helps to get those roots off to a good start. But I think the two big keys from this point forward is keeping good, even moisture in there, not wet, but soak it really well, close to dry, soak it really well. So even moisture is going to be a real factor. And and did you mulch around the top of it after it's finished planting? Uh, no, he has not done that. Okay, well, sometime in the next couple of weeks, let's get out there and get a nice layer of mulch on the top of that uh, planted area because that nice layer of mulch will help to keep the moisture in so you don't have to water quite as often and will also keep those roots nice and cool as we go through the summer season. So, okay. so your keys are going to be okay. watering as needed, so let it get close to dry, good soaking, close to dry, good soaking. And that uh-huh. mulch on the top to keep those roots nice and cool through the summer season. If you want to feed it a couple times with the plant starter or the root stimulant this spring, go for uh-huh. that. And I think those are the keys to get that thing uh, to, to make it in your yard. Okay. Thanks, babe. I appreciate it. All right. Always always a pleasure talking to you. Good good, uh, good to hear from you. And we will uh, don't have time to take another call. Lee, hang on. We're going to get you after we come back from the break. And, of course, we've got phone lines coping up for you. We've got Stacy. Well, I'll tell you what. How much time we got left here, Zach? About a minute and a half? Let me go to let me go to Lee Lee because we, we have Stacy coming up in our next hour. I was chat. Oh, okay. You know, Zach and I were actually talking about you last week because we hadn't heard from you. Well, I've been pretty sick. Uh oh, severely de- dehydrated. Uh oh, not I good. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. What is the difference between micronutrients that dry micronutrients that a that a company puts on and bare? What would be the difference? Yeah, I don't know that to be any. I didn't think so. If you look at you know, if you look on the bag, some fertilizers will have a lot of micronutrients also in the uh, formula. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just a good you know, like a, sometimes you get just a ten ten ten, and it's just a straight ten ten ten. No, bear, bear is a little bit more complicated. Right. I well, think. that's what I'm saying. So when you sometimes when you read the label, you'll see that they're they get more involved with a lot of the micronutrients that are also pretty uh, important. When it comes to feeding plants. So it depends on the fertilizer, depends on the company, but you read down that label and and they are important. So, you know, that's it, it's an important part when you go to feed. Well, apparently they were only important for one tree in my yard instead of a lot of trees in my yard. Uh oh. So I'm not a happy camper. Well, I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to tell you, we got to go, but I'm glad you, you called because now we know that you're uh, doing okay anyway. You're still alive. Keep. Keep pumping the water. Don't dehydrate, okay? I'm trying. All right. Good hearing from you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And again, read the label on those uh, fertilizers. Sometimes it's just a straight out, you know, maybe you just get the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. Some of them get more involved with a lot of the micronutrients and other things. That's why, I, you know, I talk about a spoma's tomato tone. I like it because of the natural feeding, some of those micronutrients that are in there, and the added calcium because it's for tomatoes. Coming up next, Stacy Best here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Come or not, Ron can help at 1-800-823-TALK. This is In the Garden with Ron Wilson.
Our toll-free number here in the garden, 800-823-8255. Good morning. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy, talking about yardening. And uh, I thought she disappeared, but she didn't. She's out there. We we tracked her down. As a matter of fact, um, I had a lot of folks saying, what happened to Stacy? Well, like I said, we went and found her. Uh, she's going to let you know what happened to her. But she's the one that says, garden for the health of it. And that's health of it. She is our Fit the Garden coach. She is Stacy Best. Her website, of course, StacyBest.com. Welcome back. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Where have you been? Oh, I just had a really busy spring, a lot going on, and so I, I got a late start in my own garden and everything else. But, yes, I'm back. I'm good. Is the Thanks news- for having me. Is the newsletter back? The newsletter is back. Yes, I sent it out yesterday, and I will be sending um, the newsletter out every two weeks on Friday. And how can folks get that newsletter in case they uh, weren't aware of who Stacy Best is? Sure. So the website is stacybest.com, and it's S-T-A-C-Y, and then B-E-S-T.com. And then as soon as you land on the homepage, you'll see an area that says sign up for my free ebook mm-hmm. um, and my newsletter. So when you um, enter your email and name, you'll receive a garden smoothie recipe little little ebook, and uh, you'll be automatically entered to receive my newsletter. And all kinds of recipes for garden smoothies, of which most of of which uh, we don't like. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now we've gone around and around about the smoothies. We just don't like the green ones. Yes, I know, I know. But you've given us other things to add to the green ones so we don't taste that. That's right. So it's uh, even if the color is green, and my stepson always asks me why, why am I drinking my salad? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it about looks, it. Yeah, that's right. It looks funny, uh, but uh, when you put banana or apple or berries in it, it really does taste just like a fruit smoothie, although it's green. And by the way, cookie dough... Chocolate chip cookies, peanut, but that doesn't count, right? <laughs> no, 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 not no. in this case. <laughs> not in this case. We we can't do that. Stacy Best back with us this morning again. Her website, StacyBest.com, uh, talking about the staying fit for the for the health of it and the staying fit, of course, the garden. And I asked Stacy to come on this morning. First of all, because I haven't heard from her for a long time, find out what's going on, and uh, always has great information for us, but. To talk about something that uh, I'm just myself starting to deal with a little bit this year in my knees, it's a little bit of arthritis, and of course, as we all get older, and even when you're, a lot of folks, not not even when they're older, I'm already dealing with arthritis at at younger ages, but, uh, you know, dealing with arthritis when we try to garden as we get older, keep protecting those joints, and I said, could you come on and give us a few tips on what's the best thing to do uh, to minimize the pain and continue to garden. She said she would love to. So we really appreciate that. And as a matter of fact, her first newsletter for 2017 is that, Three Strategies for Gardening with Arthritis. That's right. That's right. And I think the first thing um, anyone with arthritis needs to do is just talk to your doctor or even your physical or occupational therapist about your arthritis and let them know, hey, listen, I really, you know, love to garden and, you know, here are some of the things that I like to do or that I will be doing. And depending on where your arthritis is and the type of arthritis, they will be able to give you the best recommendations on, you know, what you should and shouldn't do, what you can and can't do. And then you can kind of make a plan going forward from there. So find out, get an evaluation so you know exactly what you're dealing with. 
and they're going to tell you what you can do, what you can't do, and then uh, then you take it and you say, okay, let's take what I can do, and let's uh, say, okay, then let's add that to you know, into our gardening strategies and take it from there. That's right, exactly. And so if that's step one, step two and three really just have to do with making some modifications. So just a quick overview, step two is to modify your actual garden space to meet your needs. And then step three would be to modify the movement that you're using. So modifying your garden space, of course, one great idea is to use um, elevated uh, gardening beds, um, even up to waist high or to garden in containers. Have you tried that at all, Ron, yourself? Well, you know me, Stacy. I've been a container gardener since I was uh, about 20 years old. Uh-huh. And, of course, raised beds now, as far as I'm concerned, whether you have arthritis or not, raised beds are the only way to grow. Mm-hmm. Good. Perfect. I love to hear it. And I think sometimes we, you know, we may have a large garden and we've had a large garden our entire life. Um, but, you know, for anybody just to really be realistic and cut back a little bit and, and to, you know, throw some things in containers or uh, some sort of raised bed just makes a lot of sense. Like you said, whether you have arthritis or not. Yeah, my mo- my mom's 83, and, and, of course, my parents used to garden, big gardens, and theirs did too. And, you know, she can't do that today, but on their patio, you know, we've set up about six large containers with tomatoes, peppers, herbs, some of the um, – Mexican sour gherkins, just a few things like that. And that's enough to keep her with fresh tomatoes and peppers and a few other goodies, you know, pretty much all the entire summer season. And it's six containers. She doesn't have to do anything with them besides water and throw a little fertilizer in every now and then, and it's a done deal. I know. It's the best, right? You don't have to really worry about weeds or bending over or any kind of um, really, I'll just call it heavy lifting mm-hmm. uh, in the garden because it's just, you know, really you're doing everything by hand once um, every the, the plants are in right. throughout the season. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, and then another thing, of course, is to choose the right plants. So plants that are, are happy in their area and, and that thrive and, you know, maybe group particular plants together that um, need the same water requirements or things along those lines just to make make things easier. And then also I think we have to just be aware of choosing perennials because people tend to think, oh, I'll just choose perennials and then, you know, they'll come back year after year and that's easier. Well, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not because perennials can require a lot of cutting back and deadheading and, and things of that nature. So, you know, you know, stick to easier perennials um, like a black-eyed Susan or a coneflower um, or a sedum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, lower care shrubs and ground covers. Right. Are great too. Sure. So basically, looking for lower maintenance plants that still give you good show or whatever, but things you just don't have to care as much for anymore. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Kind of on your own. Right. Right. And then for watering too. I mean, just uh, I talk about this all the time in my presentations. Just the, dealing with the hose can be um, cumbersome, and you know, if if anyone has issues with balance. Um, it's just kind of a hassle. So to consider using soaker hoses or even an irrigation system, too, is something to think about. Yeah, those little drip systems. And, you know, the, the um, those pocket hoses, you know, that kind of coil back up. Yes. You know, for smaller patios, they aren't bad. 
You, know, yes. you can buy those things for 10 bucks or 15 bucks. They're really lightweight. We've used them in the greenhouse. You just can't leave the water on if you know like turn the, like turn the end off and leave the still the pressure in there. It'll blow them up. But if you don't <laughs> do that, it'll last a long time for you and they're really lightweight and the perfect spot is like around a patio or small well, you know, small garden area uh, and and they really are very easy to take, you know, to handle. Yes, I agree. So easy to handle. Um they don't they don't um, coil up on you or um, throw you off balance, and um, yeah, and much much easier. Now, to now I'm talking, and of course, I want to clarify that because I'm talking about the ones that are kind of the material, the yeah, cloth, right? Because those They're plastic coiled. ones can coil around your <laughs> yes. ankles and cause you a problem. Those I don't recommend. Right, yeah. I agree with you. Yes, got it. Good one. Okay, and then moving into modifying your movement, right? So talk to your physician, modify um, your garden space, and then finally um, is to modify your movement. And that starts with by using the right tools. So there are a lot of, you know, ergonomically correct uh, garden tools out there now, and, and Ron, you and I have talked about that a lot. But my, my tip is to, again, talk to your your doctor or your therapist about which tools may work best for you. Again, depending on which type of arthritis you have and where, mm -hmm. some of these might not be the best fit. So one size does not, not fit all when it comes to these ergonomically correct tools. So keep that in mind. But there are a lot of different hand tools with larger grips, softer grips, um, also uh, little uh, handles that help you as opposed to just holding on to say the large handle of a rake or a shovel that uh, kind of extend out and, and help you with the angle and the weight of the load that you're working with. And you can buy those handles that are that could come off. So in other words, you can attach them to a, a tool that you already have. Yes, that's a great point. So you don't have to go and buy uh, right. or replace your favorite shovel because yeah. we all have that, right? Yes, we <laughs> <You> do. Can, <laughs> we can all just... Um, uh, add that handle, yes. So using the right movements, of course, then. And, and what about, you know, you always talk about stretching and and warming up beforehand and, and stretching afterwards. Does that apply when in a situation like this, too? Yes, absolutely. So once you understand um, the, the correct tools, and, of course, keep in mind um, considering sitting down on either some sort of kneeler or a garden cart or stool, um, that's obviously important, but uh, I do have a video on proper gardening biomechanics. I know that's a mouthful, and that's, you know, the kinesiotherapist in me coming out, but that can really help, too. You just have to be aware of the posture that you're using and the muscles that you're recruiting. When we do things in the garden, we tend to um, be repetitive, like if we're pruning or standing up, sitting down, or standing up, sitting down with weeding or planting, so um, to mix it up and know how to move. So there is a link in the newsletter to that Fit to Garden video, and you can also find it um, on stacybest.com. It just walks through proper raking, shoveling, uh, and planting weeding type of movements. And, again, you can find all this at stacybest.com. Sign up for her newsletter. Of course, then you'll be able to download the uh, smoothie recipes, uh, some of which I'll be honest with you, I just sorry I don't like. Hey, but but we but she's <laughs> but she's showing us how to make them so that we do like them. So there's things that we can add to them as well. I I, I thought of you uh, this past uh, earlier this spring. I was uh, reading where 
you know, kale's been the number one green out there. That cauliflower now taking over for kale? Cauliflower is has been up, you know, up on the top of the list, especially on that Andy scoring system I always talk about. Right. Uh, but, yes, it's a packs a powerful punch, too. Yes, and I love cauliflower. Do you? Well, it's okay. I mean, you know, I think I'd rather <laughs> eat it uh, raw than any other way. I'm not a big cooked cauliflower, but, you know, I've had the, uh, like, cauliflower potatoes. You, know, like, you mash them. Yes. Like pota- that's not bad. A little garlic I in there. It. It, that's pretty tasty. Mm-hmm, so I love that. I think I, uh, I think I enjoy it. But I tell you what, I've been eating a lot of kale, fresh kale in my salad. Good. Cut oh, up. great. Thanks to you. <laughs> Excellent. So, hey, thanks. I appreciate you being on uh, with us this morning again. If you want to sign up for her newsletter, it's great stuff, great information. It's stacybest.com. You'll get the smoothie book. And, of course, Stacy's available for you to help answer questions as well and uh, can help coach you through all kinds of great things, including your company. If you're interested in doing something like this as a group, uh, Stacy does that for you too. So be sure and check it out again at stacybest.com. Glad you're back. Thank you. Have a great weekend. All right, you too. Thanks, Stacy. Thank you. Again, it's stacybest.com. Quick break. We come back. Phone lines are open for you. 800-823-8255 here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Again, Stacy's website is stacybest.com. Good information there. As a matter of fact, Rita and I today will be giving a, a little uh, quick uh, seminar uh, out at uh, the uh, Natorp Nursery at uh, 1 o'clock. And it's going to be based on that as well, gardening with uh, with arthritis. So as we get older, uh, talking about some of the things that Stacy talked about here today, looking at some of those lower maintenance plants, and of course Rita talking about herbs that are easy to grow and are good for you as well, good for those joints and uh, and arthritis and all. So uh, if you happen to be out there today, uh, stop in and it's from one until two, um, and we uh, get you a little seminar about that. So should be a lot of fun. But Stacy, uh, just great information. Uh, and again, her website so uh, so good of information for you as well. StacyBest.com. Talking about gardening uh, as we move our way through um, the month of May. I can't believe that next weekend is Memorial Weekend. Jeez, where did May go? I mean, it flew by in a flash. But uh, been interesting weather, cool weather, warm weather. Had some frost go through. Had some great uh, questions, email questions. Talking about the frost and frost protection, where folks had covered plants up and still got uh, frost, 
And I would think that uh, frost damage, I think about 99% of the time, as we were talking to these folks and kind of walking them through what happened, most of them had used something that was plastic. And you just can't use plastic as a cover for frost. Now, you can if you stretch it out like a greenhouse so it doesn't touch the plants. But if it's touching the plants, it'll conduct that cold air right through the plastic, right into the to the foliage, and it'll burn and brown the top of those plants. And I had several people at email and said, I did, you know, I covered, like you said, blah, blah, blah. Still got the frost damage. Well, that's what happens when you use tarps or things that are plastic. It just doesn't work. Sheets, burlap, grow covers. They used to call them frost frost blankets. Now they call them grow or row covers uh, to use during the growing season. Those all work great, much airier. Um, you know, if, you, if it's laying on top of the plant, the frost doesn't go through onto the plant. Don't forget also, if you get caught, and I was using the expression with uh, uh, your your frost plants da- plants down and the frost in the morning, and you get up and you see it's frosted, get out the garden hose and hose off those tender plants that are frosted. By hosing the frost off, you're actually kind of thawing them back out very, you know, with the, with the water, and the cells don't break, and you don't have you minimize damages if have any at all. So hosing off light frost really does help. Uh, in your garden should you get caught without uh, having them covered up. But if you do cover up with sheets, grow cover, whatever it may be, make sure that if it's going to rain or snow or whatever it may be, but rain, that the weight doesn't push down the plant so you help support the weight of those. And as soon as the temperatures get above 50 the next day, get them off. Take them off. Very, very important as well. 800-823-8255. That's our number here in the garden with Ron Wilson. For the do-it-yourself gardener at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. That's 823-TALK. Talking about gardening, have a gardening tip you'd like to share, gardening question, give us a call. Love to talk to you. Find out what's going on in your yard, your landscape. And, of course, uh, if you'll go to our website at ronwilsononline.com, plan of the week this week, we have two of them for you. One is a rose, which Joe picked, and it's uh, Easy Does It. Of course, you've heard us talk about Easy Does It rose for many, many years absolutely gorgeous when you see that rose in bloom and in a row with all the other roses in there it stands out it just you you just your eyes are drawn to it coral peach coral yellow orange ruffly flowers so the color alone gets your attention as you get closer you start to smell it the fragrance is unreal great bloomer 
heavy producer, pretty easy to take care of. You have to deadhead it. This is a little bit longer stems. You have to deadhead and and take care of it, not unlike uh, some of the knockouts and drift roses, but it is absolutely an unbelievable rose. Uh, We've been talking about this one for a long time. Definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I recommend it an awful lot, uh, but it's called Easy Does It. And uh, it is. It's a. Uh, it's just a a wonderful rose. And then the the uh, plant that I picked for this uh, this week for plant of the week is a neat ground cover. You know, uh, Stacy was talking about uh, growing perennials that you don't have to do a lot too. Well, this is something you do have to you have to deadhead. But other than that, that's about it. Ground cover ish type plant. Mounding can be used along uh, as a border along walkways, rock gardens. Things like that. But when you plant these, whether it be one plant or a mass planting of them, you get a show from both the foliage and the flower. Uh, the name of the plant is Nepeta, uh, commonly known as cat mint, not catnip, but cat mint. And this is uh, the one I picked for this week is Walker's Low. Gets about, uh, oh, I'd say about 18 inches in the center and then mounds back down. And it's a silvery uh, gray foliage, silvery uh, green foliage, I'm sorry, that has a little bit of a fragrance to it. And then you get the um, lavender flowers on top of that. It's a pollinator magnet, so the bees and the other pollinators absolutely love it. When it's done flowering, and the flowers, I mean, solid. Kind of, if you saw from a distance, you may say lavender. Maybe it's a lavender plant. But then you get up closer and you realize it's not lavender. It's uh, cat mint. But you, when those flowers are pretty well done, take the head shears and just shear those off right back into the uh, foliage. It'll flush up another set of flowers and do it again. Shear those off. It'll set up another flush of flowers and do it again. You can carry that right on through into October. So you get nice uh, color starting uh, sometime mid to late May and right on into October. So pretty nice color, except for the little, little few week gaps in between, but Otherwise, the plant is gorgeous in between because of that great foliage. And there are several other selections available for you out there in that uh, Nepeta uh, Fosini, I think it's Fosini uh, series. Um, Cat's Meow, Drop More, Junior Walker, Little Titch all have a little bit of a different growth pattern, stay a little bit more compact, a little more upright, a little lighter color flower, whatever it may be. But there's several of them to choose from. But I like that Walker's Low. It was the original. It just does a great job. Good performer for you. And containers are in the ground. So if you want to check out either one of our plants of the week, whether it be Easy Does It Rose or Walker's Low Cat Mint, go to our website. It's ronwilsononline.com. Also, while you're there, don't forget to read the article about why are we obsessed with our lawn. And it gives you the history of where the lawn came from. It's a really cool article. Uh, give you a little bit of history about that as well. 800-823-8255 is our number. Spring season, as we go through here, you've got spring flowering trees and shrubs. The question comes up, of course, when do I, I prune those? And do remember that spring flowering trees and shrubs are typically pruned after they're finished flowering. If they flower in the summertime, you prune them in the spring because they flower on new growth. So you prune them in the springtime, new growth comes up, you get the flowering in the summer. Flower in the springtime means they flowered on last year's growth. So as soon as they're done pruning, uh, flowering, you prune them back. They set up this, this year's growth. That's what they're going to flower on next year. So for the most part, that would be the case. Hydrangeas some, can sometimes be a little bit confusing. Don't forget, I have a great tip sheet on pruning hydrangeas. Just email me. Go to ronwilsononline.com, and I'll send you that tip sheet. 
um, on, on those. Azaleas and rhododendrons, make sure you pinch out those old flowers on the rhodos. Azaleas are a little bit tougher because they're more individual, but you can pinch those out or hose them out as well. And when they're finished flowering, both the azalea and rhododendron, good time for feeding. Love using Espoma's Holly Tone. Probably still one of the best for evergreens, azaleas, hydrangeas. Really, you could use it on just about anything. But love that holly tone. But this is a good time to prune the azaleas. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times azaleas will get, will get up and have all the foliage out to the outer edge and not too much down to the center, kind of looking leggy. You go and prune those things back, and you can do it a third, a fourth, halfway, sometimes back 10 or 12 inches above the ground where there's nothing left but stems. You got to trust me on this one, but you do that. Feed them with a little holly tone, water it in well. Give them about two or three weeks. Next thing you know, those little buds start to pop on those stems. By the end of the season, they're covered back over with leaves, and you're back in business with a more shorter, compact plant that next year will give you more flowers, and as it continues to grow, more stems and more flowers as well. They respond really nice to that, so do keep that in mind on the azaleas and rhodos as far as a good time for uh, – for cleaning, you know, getting them back. And you'll maybe only do that once every three or four or five years, uh, but it does work nicely. And by the way, on azaleas, if you've had issues with um, lace bug, the azalea lace bug, where all of a sudden the new growth on your azalea in the summer starts to lose its color, starts to get kind of a yellow, then into a brown, a light brown. It's uh, And they don't die. They just look horrible. And, of course, those leaves drop off uh, during the winter. It's called some azalea. It's it's a um, a lace bug that's on the bottom, the underside of that leaf. It's a sucking insect. They overwinter on the plant. So, you know, at the end of the season or when we were talking about uh, pruning after they are finished flowering and you take off the top, you know, a third of the branch or whatever and throw that away, in a lot of cases you're physically removing the lace bug that causes you issues and throwing it away and getting it away from the plant. A lot of times that gets rid of it and gets you off to a cleaner start with those azaleas as well. 800-823-8255, Stephen, Ohio, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, sir, and yourself? Good. Good. Hey, I have a problem with crawdads in my yard. Uh, I have a little creek behind my house and uh, uh, drill holes and mounds of dirt about six inches high. Here's the deal, Steve. There isn't a darn thing you can do about them. All right. And, and the reason they come up like that is when you've got that creek behind you, they like high water tables. And so underground, they're actually traveling in a water table just below the surface somewhere, and they'll come up and they'll surface like what you see. They come up, they put up that mud tunnel, and they will actually come out of there at nighttime. They're nocturnal, and they'll actually crawl around and feed on insects and other things that they can find at ground surface, and then they go back in and go back down into the water table. So anytime you have uh, high water tables, especially around a creek and a ditch, drain ditch, something like that, that's typically where you see them pop up. Well, that's typically because there's that water table just below that they travel in. So to go and pour something down the holes to try to take care of them is not a good thing because you're putting whatever you're putting down the hole into the water table. So not not a good thing to do. So really, not a whole lot you can do besides take the mud tunnel, pitch it, you know, stomp on it, you know, fill the hole back in, whatever it may be. But that's uh, and you can go out, you know, Steve. You go out at nighttime with a flashlight. Sometimes you'll see them crawling through the lawn and and in the uh, around the uh, mud tunnel 
uh, and you can actually catch them, but the the kicker is there's so many of them down there, it really doesn't do you a whole lot of good as far as reducing populations and getting rid of the mud tunnels. So I guess it's just an understanding and putting up with them and realizing that sometimes of the year you're going to see them more than others. And right now where there's good moisture in the ground, you're going to see them quite a bit. Well, thanks for your help. Uh, not what I wanted to hear, but uh, I'll have to live with them. All right. Uh, unfortunately, that's the way it is, Steve. But uh, that's one of those, again, you can't and, – and Joe Boggs and I uh, laughed uh, three or four weeks ago. We were talking about the crawdads, and um, I used to take uh, – you could take like a bluegill hook, put a little worm on there, and sometimes if they were close to that hole or down in it, you could put that down there, and they actually would clamp onto that. And sometimes you could pull them out, but it didn't do you any good because there are many down there. But that's the way they come out of that water table up onto the surface to uh, feed at nighttime, kind of crawl around a little bit and go right back down in that hole again. Nothing you can do about it. You don't want to do anything about it because you're pouring things into your water table. Not a good thing. Quick break. We come back. We'll continue on. Phone lines are open for you. 800-823-8255. Here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. Allen in Ohio, good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. Hey, um, I wanted to use, like, pavers, you know, like the eight inches long, four inches wide, two inches across thick Mm -hmm. uh, as a landscape edge. And I've done that before, and it seems like it's – you know, because so little sticks out and so little's in the ground, it's hard to stabilize them to keep them from moving. Yes. Do you, do you have an idea of how to stabilize those? Um, you know, there is a um, – the only other thing I can think of is there is actually a um, a border that you put in the ground. So, if, say, if you're putting uh, pavers down for a patio, there's actually an edge. It's an L-shaped edge that goes down in the ground that the corner of that paver sits in. Okay. And, and you can actually peg you peg that down with spikes into the ground, so you and it it's flexible, so it moves and bends along the edge of your border, and that has an L shape, like I said, a little L shaped um, plastic corner, and that would allow you to be able to sit those in that L shape. And the next thing I'd look at is if that doesn't stabilize it enough, you know, you could even add a little bit of um, glue or something like that or epoxy on there and actually somewhat semi-glue them to that thing so that now they're kind of in place so that you could eventually take it off if you had to, but it would actually kind of give a little bit more st- stability hanging on to that uh, paver edger. 
Now the problem, you know what you're going to deal with, Tom or uh, Alan. The, the the worst thing here is the freezing and thawing over the winter time. And, okay. And that's where you really get messed up with a lot of these edgers because you put them in the ground, and even if they're very good and stable through the summertime, as the ground freezes and thaws over the winter time, it has a tendency to push them. They come loose and they start to rock back, you know, one way or the other. And that can also happen in the summer when it's dry and, they, and the and the soil uh, shrinks. But it seems like I see it more in the winter time. Uh, and sometimes that can move a little bit where that edging, when it's, you know, when you peg that down into the ground, really does a pretty good job of helping to hold that in place, but it can also move just a tad and sometimes has to be adjusted. But first thing, that's the first thing that came to my mind as far as hold them in place, um, you know, because that is fairly stable, but it's a paver edger that you put down in the ground and peg it down into the ground. And boy, that'd be a great thing to attach it to and you should be good to go. Great. Thanks a lot. All right, Alan, good talking to you. And let's see here. Tom in Cincinnati got a tip for us. Good morning. Good morning. Now, is this a le- this Tom. is a legit tip, right? Yes, it okay. is. Okay, all right. It's really not gardening, but uh, if you look out your window and the turkey vultures aren't blocking your view, you'll see where I work. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sporting goods store. Okay, all right. I do see craw- that. Yes, those crawdads are fantastic fishing bait. Oh, yeah. If what he's you... not a fisherman, he's got friends who like to fish, and those things are expensive. The, the small ones? The, any size. It, what... The small ones are great for the, the crappie, that kind of thing. The, the bigger ones are great for bass, and also the cicadas. Ah, you those see any both... Those are both great bait. Let me ask you this on the cicadas. Is, does, can you use the larvae? I've never fished with cicada. Both the larvae and the you adults? Can. Absolutely. So you'd use the larvae and adults. Can you freeze those? I mean, you know, sometimes they'll freeze yep. the um, catalpa worms and use them later. Yep. So you you'll can freeze, freeze them. They're, the fish love them. So if you're in a pocket where we're seeing some of these periodical cicadas coming up, uh, that would be something that uh, if you're a fisher, <laughs> fisher person, grab them all yep. and uh, put them in the freezer. Now, let me ask you, with, with the, uh, and I've never fished with crawdads before, um, so how do you hook those? I mean, I, I'm being honest. How do you hook a, how do you hook a crawdad? Through the, uh, abdomen, kind of through the thorax. So through the bottom. The bottom. Yeah, exactly. And is it, and of course, then it depends on what type of fish that you're, you're going for. But uh, if you get those smaller inch and a half, two inch long crawdads. Yep. Probably They're fantastic. The, probably the best size for generally fishing. Around here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, the uh, sporting goods store across the street just happens to be Dick's. It happens to be work in the lodge. <laughs> Do what? I work in the lodge. Are That's you... where we have the hunting, fishing, and all the fishing, camping, all that stuff. Cool. So if you're ever over at Dick's and the Kenwood, stop in and say hi to Tom. Yes, absolutely. Hey, good tip. I appreciate that. Sure. All right. Have a great day. All right, you too. Good talking to you. So there you go. So if you do catch him. But the thing, the point being, too, is that sometimes folks will go out there and pour things down the hole. And that's why I was asking if it was a legit, because some people call in and say, well, I just pour gasoline or diesel. Don't do that, um, especially not for something like that, because uh, that is going down into your water system, your water table. Not a good thing. You don't want to add that down to the water table. So, you know, um, leave them alone. Uh, or catch them and use them for fishing if you're a big fisherman. By the way, we are seeing those outbreaks in our area of brood uh, 10, the uh, 2021 uh, brood of cicadas coming out about uh, four years early. 
Uh, it was predicted by our own uh, Mr. Cicada here in Cincinnati, uh, Gene Kriske, and uh, pockets, um, probably not as crazy as I thought it was going to be, but pockets all around the area. But if you have them, um, of course, they are edible in the larvae stage, right before they come out of the ground. But there you go. You can take them and uh, freeze them and use them uh, for fishing as well. You know, before we take a break, one thing I wanted to bring up, and I had talked, uh, we were talking earlier with the lady about planting that dogwood and making sure it got mulched before we got into the summer season. Do me a favor, and I see this all the time when we were out looking at folks' uh, landscapes and plants and things like that. Look out into your own yard right now. And if you have trees out in your own yard, all, you know, in the grass areas, are they mulched around or does the turf come up to the base of the tree? And I ask you that because for smaller trees especially, and there's a reason why you want to mulch around the bigger trees as well, but for smaller trees especially, competition with newly planted trees and a lawn can really be bad news and can set newly planted trees back because of the competition between the two. So if you're planting or have planted new trees in your lawn area, your grass-den area, and the grass is growing up to the trunk of the tree, do me a favor. And look out right now. You got any like that? Do me a favor. Create a ring around that tree where you're going to remove the sod, take the grass away, and put it somewhere else in the yard where you need it, and replace that with mulch. You can use whatever kind of mulch you want to use. I've used probably the same in all the different trees, so it kind of matches, kind of ties it all together. Um, but whatever mulch you want to use, that's fine. I, I, I'll leave that up to you. But to put a one to three inch, and I'd probably only do about an inch, inch and a half, two inches most, um, around the bottom of that tree, the base of that tree, to protect those roots, don't put it up against the trunk of the tree. Remember, always keep the mulch away from the trunk of the tree so it would actually look like a donut around your tree. But to mulch around those trees and get the grass away from the tree is going to benefit that those, those smaller trees and larger trees as well. A hundredfold. No competition. Keeps the roots cooler during the summertime. Helps to hold moisture in there. Uh, as the mulch breaks down or adds organic matter back to the soil, so many benefits. And it's easier to mow around. And when you have mulch around the base of the larger, smaller, whatever side trees it may be in your yard, you prohibit having lawnmower or string trimmer disease. You know what that is. You string trim around the bottom and you bruise the bottom of the trees or you hit them with a lawnmower, doesn't, doesn't cut it. Mulch around the base of the trees will protect from that. That's what you want to do. Promise me you'll do it here in the Garden with Ron Wilson. Got gardening questions? Ron has the answers at 1-800-823-TALK. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson.
Our toll-free number here in the Garden, same as it is every Saturday morning, 800-823-8255. Good morning. I am Ron Wilson, your personal yard boy. We're talking about yarding. Moving right on through the month of May. Don't forget our website, ronwilsononline.com. Don't forget our chat uh, room going on on our Facebook page, In the Garden with Ron Wilson. In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Facebook page, lots of great information on there as well. But uh, also the uh, live chat. Ron Rothus and many others there uh, talking about uh, yardening. So you can check that out. Again, it's our Facebook page, In the Garden with Ron Wilson. And, of course, our website, In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Uh, I'm sorry, ronwilsononline.com. Now I'm confused. Um, On there this week, posted, great picture of a wisteria hugging a tree to death. Literally. Uh, Funny picture, great picture, but uh, brings up a point, too, about the growing vines around trees. But to take a look at that, Buggy Joe has a few posts on there for you. Plants of the week this week, I think you'll like them. Both um, can be used in containers or in your landscape, uh, and both very showy. Uh, Joe picked the uh, Easy Does It Rose. You've heard us talk about Easy Does It Rose before. Great, great bloomer. Wonderful colors and the corals and oranges and light uh, yellows uh, all blended together, roughly uh, petals, and a great fragrance. But it's called Easy Does It. And again, grow it in a, in a container, grow it in the ground either way. A great rose for a great show, cutting roses well, and great fragrances. You can't beat it. It's, it's pretty easy to take care of. The other plant of the week is uh, Cat Mint Walker's Low. Again, a great perennial that really helps to draw in the, the uh, pollinators. can be used as a ground cover, a low border. There are several types in that series, but I picked uh, Walker's Low to take a look at. Uh, really cool plant to look at. Great flowers. Give it to you off and on all summer long. Again, you'll find that at ronwilsononline.com. A really cool story about why we're obsessed with our lawn, uh, the history of our lawn. Read his recipe, bell peppers and fennel slaw. Bell pepper and fennel slaw. Another great recipe from our good friend Rita Heikenfeld. Uh, we've got some tips about how to keep your plants blooming. Uh, we've got some uh, great pictures on hydrangea trees, some must-have edibles, and more and more and more. It just goes on and on and on. Be sure to check it out. It's all happening at ronwilsononline.com. And, of course, we're taking your calls, 800-823-8255. Back to the gardening phone lines. We shall go. Rick in Ohio, good morning. Good morning, um, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. I've, I'm kind of playing, transplanting some pawpaw trees um, from Batavia to my house up in Lebanon mm-hmm. and wanted to see if that was a bad idea because I like to get some pawpaw trees going out there. Um, and I'm on the road. I wasn't sure whether you had any um information on your website in regards to those i don't have any information posted there for you as far as uh growing them or transplanting them but i'll tell you this much uh, and i'm assuming these are coming from your own property correct okay uh transplanting time uh now is not exactly the best time to be doing it Uh, and the reason being is they're out in leaf and they're putting out new growth at this stage and so when you go and you would go to dig those have you have you done it yet at all not yet. No, no. It was we were going to do it soon. Yeah, I, I was anticipating spring being the best time. Well, spring is a great time, but earlier in the spring before they start to leaf out. Oh, so you want to okay. you want to catch them before they start to leaf out, or in the fall as they're starting to shut down. Those are the best two times to try to do that. And reason being is they're putting out lots of new growth right now. 
They're shooting out all that foliage right now. If you go into transplant, you're going to take away about 75% of the root system to dig and move those. And now you just put them into a shock that could wind up losing the entire plant or most of the plant uh, by digging at the wrong time. Like right now, at most nurseries, we're really not digging any trees, uh, anything like that, until all the new growth has stopped, hardened off. And then actually you can go back in and dig at that point, but you might as well wait until fall if you're going to do that. Uh, rather than digging in season. So the the deal would be to mark the ones that you're going to take so you know okay. where to go and then go in and do your do your transplanting at either time and move them. Are they all out of one particular area? Yes. The reason I say that is that, you know, to get good fruit production, it's good to have, because sometimes they can all come from the same tree, um, it's good to have pawpaw trees from different pawpaw trees uh, that you get better cross-pollination that way. And so, okay. you know, sc- kind of scatter around the area and pick trees out that way uh, so that you've got kind of an assortment of the pawpaw trees that you move in. I'm telling you what, that, that tree, Rick, is becoming very, very popular. We're growing more and more of them for landscape use. Um, you're seeing a lot of research done on pawpaws now with new selections that actually have um, names, so it's like such and such pawpaw tree that's a better producer, grows a different way or whatever. You're seeing pawpaw produce patches now being grown like an orchard. You're now seeing pawpaw patches coming up uh, to be grown as a, you know for uh, harvesting uh, in the fall. And obviously, it's a quick, uh, quick process, but you know, becoming more and more popular all the time is, is the point. But again, back to what you're doing, I'd say you do it spring before they leaf out fall as they're starting to lose their leaves and of course uh the transplanting take as much of a root system as you can when you dig them you're probably going to lose the soil around them as you pop them out of the ground that's okay mark the level on the trunk of the tree as to the level of where it was growing in the ground and that typically would be right that flare should be right at ground level but mark it so you know so you plant it back at the exact same level not deeper than what it was in the ground. You may have to stake it for the first year or so. The other thing you might even consider is actually digging them, if you do it in the fall, potting them up in a container and just growing them in a container in the fall, overwintering them in the container like in an unheated garage or shed over the winter, and maybe growing them for a year just to get them rooted in and then slide them out of that pot and plant them in the ground. Oh, great. That, that may be a better transplant. You may get a better success that way than just popping them out and trying to put them somewhere else. Okay, that's that's good to know. And I guess the answer to my other question was with the, the root ball, how big should that be? The, but, the uh, way it, Well, the way it works, Rick, if you look at it in, in a nursery, for instance, they'll take a, the trunk diameter. If it's a one-inch trunk diameter, they'll try to calculate about a 12 to 14-inch root ball. Uh, two inch, two inch trunk diameter, and, we, and it's about twelve to fourteen inches per inch trunk diameter. So, uh, two inch trunk diameter, and then we start talking twenty four, thirty two inch root ball. Wow! And then it goes out from there. And the thing about the thing about trees that are growing in nature, um, you don't have a lot of small roots. You'll have a lot of surface roots, and that those pawpaws may have four roots going out different directions, and that may be about it, which sometimes makes them difficult to transplant. Uh, because that's all you've got. So that's why I say you may wind up staking them. It may be better to, to uh, take that and grow it in the 
a pot for a year or so to get reestablished a, a nice root system and then put it back in the ground. You may be more successful that way. I've even seen folks go out, stake those things, go around it with a shovel, and cut the roots in the fall, all right? And that's called root pruning. Leave okay. it sit there over the winter time, and then go back in the springtime before it starts to leaf out and dig it up or let it sit there and go and get it the following fall. And what they did was they root pruned it to cause it to branch out or root out more toward the center so they've developed more of a root system for when it's time to transplant that thing. Interesting. Okay. Or you go to your local garden center and buy them already grown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can do that. I have never seen them at... You don't, yeah, you don't see them that much, but you're seeing them coming in more and more now. Pawpaws are being sold more and more in the garden centers. That's interesting. So you can get them online and through companies that way. Yeah, um, and they're going to be small, and, and but you know they're they're exactly. going to be something they grew in small pots. But again, it's a great way to get a start. Exactly, exactly, and it's a great fruit, and like you said, really becoming popular. I love the taste of pawpaws. It's too bad it's such a perishable fruit and doesn't last very long. Exactly, exactly. So, but uh, well, great. I, I appreciate the information. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you, sir. Have All a great weekend. All right, good talking to you. Quick break. We come back. Larry, you're coming up next. And Dick from Dayton here in the garden with Ron Wilson. How is your garden growing? Call Ron now at 1 800 823 Talk. You're listening to In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Welcome back here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Again, that toll-free number, 800-823-8255. By the way, if you have existing uh, landscape beds, perennials, shrubs, things like that, now is a great time to be side-dressing those with a little bit of uh, general plant food, so to speak. Uh, and I have mentioned, uh, you know, we've uh, Fertilum's tree and the plant uh, fertilizer does a great job for side-dressing. If you want to go all natural, look at the Spoma products. Uh, but this is right now a good time to do a little bit of sprinkle in the bed around the outside, around the edges, thus the side dressing. Uh, getting work, raking it into the mulching and getting it watered in. Um, super time to be uh, to be doing that. If you have newly planted trees and shrubs, if you haven't used a plant starter or root stimulant, do that when you plant. Do it a couple times during the spring season. It'll be just fine. A uh, great way to, to uh, give those a light feeding. You can use that for the first couple years, as a matter of fact. And those plant starters and root stimulants work great on annuals, perennials, trees and shrubs, whatever it may be. So keep that in mind as well. And, of course, as you're doing any of your gardening, always try to add organic matter back to the soil. When you're planting, 
throw a little bit of compost, uh, a little bit of manure, a little bit of the pine fines, you know, anything like that, coffee grounds, anything organic that you can add back to the soil. Continue to do that everywhere that you can. So important to get organic matter back into the soil. Keep those worms happy. If your worms are happy, your plants are going to be happy. And, uh, and organic matter back to the soil is a great way to do that. Coffee grounds, my gosh, if you're throwing coffee grounds in the trash at the end of the day uh, from the office or whatever it may be, you know, shame on you because that's something that you can just take and toss into the lawn, around your landscape beds, into the vegetable garden, water that stuff in. Earthworms will come and grab that. They love coffee grounds to put organic matter back in the soil. So do all you can, but now's a good time for feeding. So if you want to get out and feed that lawn, the landscape, trees, and shrubs, this is the time of year to get her done. Back to the gardening phone lines at 800-823-8255. Larry in Ohio, good morning. Good morning, Ron. Yes, sir. I'm having a little bit of a problem with some strawberries in my uh, garden. Uh, Mostly it's been pill bugs eating the berries. And yesterday I was picking some, and there were some tiny little worms eating away at the berry. Up in the bottom of the berry? Yep. Do you have straw underneath them? No. You know, if you if you the one benefit about putting straw as a as an over you know a cover in this in the winter time is that if you can work it underneath the strawberries as a cover or a ground cover. Um, what it does, it actually gets it off of the ground so that these debris eaters, like the pill bugs and the sow bugs, which are debris eaters, but will also feed on young seedlings and fruits and that that are touching or on the ground, uh, and some of these other critters that will come up in there. That straw sometimes creates that barrier between the ground and the plant and really cuts down on that feeding. Um, the other thing, if you look at a lot of the professional fields where they're growing strawberries, they'll use the landscape mat. So they'll actually have that fabric underneath those strawberries, and it really creates literally a physical barrier between the two. And then you don't have any issues at all as far as them getting, trying to get to the strawberries. So what do you do at this stage? There are um, diatomaceous earth that could be sprinkled there, and both of those critters that you were talking about, as they crawl across that, um, you can dust it right around the strawberries. It's it's just rinse it off when you go to eat your strawberries. Um, but as they crawl across it, it's an all-natural insecticide. It actually slices them like a miniature razor blades. Now, it doesn't do anything to us, but it actually does that for them, and it's a very natural way to, to keep them under control. So by doing that, um, you know, again, the straw, some kind of, an, of another barrier, laying cardboard underneath it can even give you a physical barrier between the two until you're able to harvest all the strawberries. So anything like that would work for you. General insecticides to apply, I, I don't like doing that. But look at the diatomaceous earth. That may help you out there. Very good. Thank you. All right. Good talking to you. And if you have any extra strawberries, uh, let us know. You know where to find us. And to Dayton we go. Dick, good morning. Good morning. I understand you had a great time with Gary Jeff this morning. Yeah, yeah, pretty good time, <laughs> yeah. So how'd the concert, how'd the concert go last Saturday? You were in Clifton. Oh, geez. Another, another successful place, you know? Good. It was good. This guy come up, you know, and said, uh, I want to see Dick. <laughs> you know, it's, I tell you, it's just um, Dick Allen, our producer, is just happy the publicity we get, you know? Good. Good we for you. We had a small crowd, but, you know, we're just, we just make that music go, you know? Sure. 
Sure, and you play the man. You play everything that's in there, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's nice, you know. I learned it from my family up north, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I wonder, wonder how my cousin is. She's a gardener in Homestead Falls, you know. She emails my girlfriend and says she hears me up there, you know, up in Cleveland. Yep. Did you now? Did you tell her to go to Uncle John's? My friends at Uncle John's plant yeah, farm. I think I did. I uh, told her to go up there, and you know, and I and my aunt. She said she had heard me, you know, Gary and Ramona are my cousin. They live in Westlake. But mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to tell you, gee, many crickets last Saturday or Sunday. Forget the place. Forget the place. <laughs> Everybody was buying flowers, you know. It's and, called controlled chaos. Yes, yes. On Mother's and, Day know, weekend. Me and, my, me and my little helper, you know, we're, we, we do cart duty. It takes all. I mean, I love to see the people. Oh, yeah. It's hard to get the blue and the red and the little the little garden carts, but people buying flowers, people buying malts, people buying bricks, Ron. It, it's it's such a good economy. Oh know? yeah, Mother's Day weekend seems to bring everybody out, doesn't it, Dick? Yeah, I, I love it. You know, and oh. you know, being they congratulate me. I told you last week, twenty-one years. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think I've known you about fifteen of those. Yeah, we've had good talks, you know. Hey, we got to take a break, Dick. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you checking in with us. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Dick from Dayton. Always a pleasure hearing from him. All right, we're going to take a break. We come up, uh, coming up next, a little home improvement from the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Gary Sullivan. Then after Gary, of course, Buggy Joe Boggs. We'll see what he's got up his sleeve. You never know. It all happens here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Some or not, Ron can help at 1-800-823-TALK. This is In the Garden with Ron Wilson. Good morning. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. Time for a little home improvement for the man, the myth, the legend. Of course, his uh, website is GarySullivanOnline.com. He is the most listened to home improvement show host in the entire world. I mean, everywhere. That's where he is. And of course, he is Gary Sullivan, and he is sitting right next to me this morning. And I just blew him away. You did. With some. Uh, Sergeant Carter. <laughs> with an old poster from of Gary and myself. From the early 90s. It's got to be 91. 91, I'm, I'm thinking 90, well, 91, 92. 92. Yeah, yeah, it could be 92. That's been a while. That was a while ago. That's been a while. I was joining our little <laughs> club. <laughs> you had all kinds of pictures for me today. I'm kind of taken back by the whole thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, Container well, gardening. You create, what you created. And... <laughs> <laughs> they will come. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I want to build a garden on top of your deck or not after seeing this. Well, you suggested it. I did suggest it. And it's actually not not a bad idea as long as it's a good deck and it can support the weight. Just always remember, water is your worst enemy. 
Yep. You know, Make it sure is it your worst enemy of your home. It is your favorite enemy. It's your favorite friend in the garden, I guess. It could be an it enemy, be. It too. It could be though. an enemy. Yeah. So you just got to be careful if you're putting the garden on top of a deck. But you <laughs> in know, a structure. But, you know, if you look at Gardner's uh, supply catalog, uh-huh. probably one of the best. And I look at them because of the trends that they have there. They have so many deck top and patio top uh, planters, but mm-hmm. they're on legs. Right. Or on wheels. Mm-hmm. They're like a table up off the ground. Mm-hmm. And then the, that whole big planter on top of the ground. That's good because yeah. then you don't have the two things sitting together. Right, and, what right. you, and that's what you're talking about. Right. Where eventually that can cause the deck underneath it to rot. Well, it can. In fact, we've right. gotten into a big thing now if you went to buy pressure-treated wood. Now, pressure-treated wood's labeled ground contact or non-ground contact. What is? By the amount of pressure treating that is in the wood. The secret of that is, and here's the tip, really, my opinion only, just always buy the ground contact, even if it's well, not be the best in ground contact. And here's treated, why. Right? Yes, and here's why. Let's say you have a deck that's three feet off the ground. And first of all, you got all that ground moisture coming up to the underside of the ground. It's not touching the ground, right? but you got more than enough moisture. Second thing is on the surface of the deck, you have dust, dirt, leaves, rain. You're talking about my deck? <laughs> I did not say that, Ron. I know yours is I think clean you were from that. three years ago. <clears throat> three years. That ago. was last fall. <clears throat> three years. That ago. was last fall. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. It was Memorial Day. No, I and I cleaned it again last fall. Oh, you did? Yeah, but I didn't seal it. Remember? I cleaned it. A second you just got to keep cleaning. I just, cleaning yeah, it I just then. kept okay. cleaning because the wife said she liked that natural and I, look. Well, that's why they and have she bailed clear. me out. That's why they have clear. But anyway, well, we, I, I digress. Okay, thank you. If you have a lot of leaves on the deck in, yes. the, in the fall and it's raining and they be, and you have mold spores and they begin to break down, that's that's almost exactly like ground contact. Right. Even though that deck's five feet off the ground. Right. So ground contact. So it's a, And that is just a matter of how well they pressure treat How the, deep they pressure deep treat they go into Yeah, it. so think back when we went through all this CCA and ACQ, all the different treatments in the, in the last five years. Some of the boards you looked at, and you're like, these things are hardly pressure treated. Remember back in the day, you'd we drive a nail in. Like balsa wood. Yeah. Or you, or you drive a nail in and get splashed in the face right, of water. Right, right. So now we kind of got things labeled and just get the ground contact. You, you, so we've gotten a better con- Right, so, of the, so if somebody starts building a container on top of their deck and right. it's the deck the old, wood that wasn't pennant, wasn't going to last very long. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And that water sits on it. And, so you have to be careful about mm-hmm. it. You've got to be very careful. Yeah. Good point. Always Good be point. careful. But that's where a lot of the new ones are coming with. They've got the legs on the bottom now. Yeah, so yeah. To, yeah. So Just be careful. Water is the worst enemy of well, all and building you know, with, materials. With container gardening today. And a lot of folks using larger pots, mm-hmm. sitting right on patios, right on the deck. Mm-hmm. That by the end of the year, it's got a pretty nice stain there. Mm-hmm. From yeah, it's all on- those tannins and all the, um, you know, the different pigments in the soil. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the wood and the wood underneath the, yeah, pl- the plastic the or ceramic or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so be careful. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah, use the legs if you can. Yes, get them up off the ground. Yes, let it air out. Yes, let it breathe. In fact, this particular yeah. week, I was uh, painting and digging out rotten wood, and I was well, so not I, at your house. Well, of course, Ron. Why would you have rotten wood? At because your house? water is your number one enemy of all building materials. <laughs> So anyway, the porch, the screened-in porch, the top little uh, lapboard siding, 
Uh, about in February, I noticed there was paint blistering and started poking around. Wood was rotten. Just down a little bit. But you know what was amazing? With your screw all? Hmm? With your scratch all? Scratch all. There you go. Very good. <laughs> You're coachable. <laughs> Sincerely coachable. Tell I go to a hardware. <laughs> you look at them. I look at scratch alls. They have them, don't they? They got them. There you go. Different sizes too. Yes, sir. <laughs> so anyway, it was rotten. And anyway, I started digging it out, and I was going to patch it with a uh, an epoxy wood filler. Well, I dug this one out, and it was probably three eighths to a half inch deep, and maybe an inch wide. And when I got down, it, that wood was soaking wet. I couldn't even patch it that day. I had to let it dry for a day. So what, what makes you determine that you patch it rather than replace it? When the patch looks like it would be really big. <laughs> However. Well, how big is really well, big? Well, you know, I don't know. I used to always think, well, once you start patching it sagging, obviously yeah. that's too big. But I, I, at the uh, hardware show two weeks ago, there was, and I can't think of the brand name. That's what I was trying to think. They had an epoxy wood filler. And this guy... He had patched an old log timber, and it was probably a four-by-four, and he patched almost five inches. Wow. He added five inches of that timber, and then into the timber by like another foot at about half inch deep. That was his demo piece. It was pretty impressive. Now, do they— I wouldn't do that. When they're doing that, can when you if you would restain that, would it look like the wood still? Because you know those won't have the grain, color. won't have the grain, right? But you can stain it; it it's not going to match it. Exactly. Surprised nobody ever came up with something like that. Yeah, it's never going to match. Got a little it. grain going. Through. Well, there's a graining tool. What? It's hard to match grain too. A graining tool, yes, where you can put grain into even paint. No. Yeah. So next time you're in looking for scratch alls, just now say, I "Look for a graining tool, ma'am, sir. Could you show me a graining tool?" You'll go, gosh. Sullivan, yeah. I thought it was the Sully drink that was getting to him, but he really knows those tools exist. Boy. Graining tool, scratch graining, all. Graining tool. So I don't really have an answer scratch for all. you on how, how you know, if it rotted that way again in larger, I would replace the board. It was kind of about as far as I was going to go on it. But it was it was really wet. So it was holding that water and just rotting away. So let me ask you this. When that thing was built, should it have been built so that the wood's into the soil like that? It's not into the soil. So it's a good question. The screen in porch. I thought you were saying it was into the. The screen in porch is all, um, it was all wood with the screen. And quickly, after about three months, realized the dew on the screen was rolling down and ponding on the wood. Oh. And the wood was beginning to rot. So what I did is I tore out all those sections. I had Champion actually make me. Uh, aluminum frames, and we reset the frames in where the wood frames were. So what has happened, that was probably 12 years ago. Now what has happened, and it's just over time, is the metal where it hits the wood, They there's some separation there. So there's some moisture that ponds when it rains, and it the caulking I don't think it was ever caulked, so there was some natural shrinking of the and wood. You, you put those a, in, too. No, I didn't. Oh. Left a little bit of gap there. Try and so they're caulked now. <laughs> they're caulked now. <laughs> After it was painted and the uh, wood was patched, and now they're caulked. So hopefully so that, that goes another eight, ten years. Week? That was it, baby. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> well, point being is you, you, 
you can never quit fighting a battle against water when you have home. Right. Water is always going to find that that Achilles heel. You know, my Carly and Justin had a little leak right in their dining room in the corner uh-huh. about four weeks ago. Yep. Right in the ceiling. Hasn't leaked since. Yeah. They've had major storms and rain and a whole nine yards, and they he can't find it figure out at all where that came I from. I told you this, and I'm serious. I chased a leak for 12 Well, I remember you years. telling me about that, yeah. Finally, the guy that put in the Copper Bay roof, he he had checked everything, the brick, the roof, and he'd chased this thing with me. And we both, both hunted that thing down. Finally, he took off, basically took off the Copper roof and halfway headed off, and he goes, here's the problem right here. And it was underneath the roof. How that water was getting, I have no idea. So we keep fighting the battle, brother. But you got to keep fighting it, and yeah, that's man. the whole important. That's the really the yeah, tip. Be, yeah, exactly. Gotta stick with it. Had I keep noticed looking. that there was some separation there, yep. And even before the wood got wet, and said, "Hmm, water can get in there," and caulked it. That's the five dollar repair I didn't make that quickly became could have set you up for uh, other damages, like these little critters that get in there. Oh yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> that no like doubt. that moist wet wood. Oh, even ants. Termites. Yep. All kinds of things. Yep. You just saved yourself a bundle. Yep. If I wouldn't have caught it, it would have been fifty dollars to five hundred. That's why you're the homeboy. Hey, I worked my best. His name is Gary Sullivan. His website is GarySullivanOnline.com. Be sure and check it out. Coming up next, Buggy Joe Boggs here in the garden with Ron Wilson. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Welcome back. You're in the garden with Ron Wilson. It is time for the Buggy Joe Boggs Report. Mr. Joe Boggs, the Ohio State University Extension, Assistant Professor, Commercial Horticulture Educator, and Poster Boy for the Ohio State University Extension. Good morning, sir. I think we're out of time. <laughs> that introduction, that was great. <laughs> to let everybody know who you are and what you're I all about. I tell you, that's, I was waiting for somebody important to come on. You know, I was thinking, oh, gosh, there must be another guest. Are you picking all about dreaming today? All about dreaming today. <laughs> okay, so what's the segue there? Well, it's the Preakness today. You know, I, I, uh, I'll tell you. Wasn't it that your happen. horse? All about dreaming or something? Well, it is now. You know. Well, you you picked him for the <laughs> Derby. Well, if you remember, I, I picked I picked a patch. Remember you I had Pat. You were just because of the name, but you said. On a I serious note, dreaming. yeah, all, all about, about dreaming. dreaming was, I, yeah, I, yeah, that's Pats yeah, that's, was only because it was a great story. Pats was a great story, and then and once that he got a little a, sawdust or a sand in his eye, it was going to be bad news. <laughs> you know, oh, we shouldn't laugh about that, no. but but it did occur to me when Pats got behind. Yeah, and that's all the, the mud. Was that'd be kind of tough. Thinking, I was thinking, oh my gosh, if you just you know just have one eye or a racehorse, that's not a good a good situation. I'm sure that obviously it's worked for him it. though. Yeah, obviously it's worked for him though. He got to oh, got to the Derby. That's, that's right. That's right. It's uh, 
But but you know, you're all about dreaming. It could happen. The Preakness, you know, I I, I um, am going to be watching that today. I wonder if my two boys are in there. You know, I don't know. What were right. those names? <laughs> Gilbert and <laughs> Giverno or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we thought they might have a hard time getting off the back porch. Yeah, well, yeah. What was it, like yeah. Gomer and <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember. Guillermo or something. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it just sounded like. So, speaking of getting off the back porch. All right, get off of yours. You know, I, I you posted you posted in this website. Oh, gosh, what is that website? It's uh, ronwilsononline.com. Ron Wilson online dot you know that's easy to remember. It just rolls off the tongue. It, it does. It, it does. It kind of sounds like a cicada song, doesn't it? Boy, that was a that was a stretch, but I'm yeah, doing really. the best I can here. <laughs> you know, you you posted a really interesting uh, reference to a book about preparation of uh, cicadas, <clears throat> and I have to say, you know, we are getting an early emergence of brew ten. But I don't know there's going to be enough to, to apply the recipes. I I think unless you're in a yard that, yeah, that yeah. happens to be one of the lucky ones, I don't think you're going to be able to make too much out of it. No, I think maybe this could be like a one-off deal. You know, like you just get one and that's it. <laughs> yeah, a little pot pie and that's about it. <laughs> but it is interesting. I mean, it is, uh, you know, we talked about this a, a few weeks ago and, and it has happened. I talked to Dr. Gene Kritsky at Mount St. Joe University, who's by far one of the best uh, cicada experts uh, in the country. And, of course, what we're referring to is very specific to North America. Uh, there are cicadas elsewhere in the world, but there are only uh, the only place you find these periodical cicadas that come out every 17 or 13 years. Uh, and of course, the same cicadas don't do both. It's just those are, those are two different those are different species that do that. But that's only, those cicadas are only found in the eastern United States, pretty much from the Mississippi to the to the uh, um, to the Atlantic. And uh, and that does make it a kind of a unique insect in terms of of what we're experiencing. And you know, I always tell this story, and I think it's a good one that. A lot of folks will call these locusts, and and that's you know that's a pretty common common name, and of course you know uh, we we often we entomologists then very quickly correct them and you know well they're cicadas you know of course when you're doing that and you want authority you talk in a lower voice right well, sure you yeah you know, I have to yeah oh they're cicadas well where did the the the, the locust name come from and it's speculated that. Uh, well, and it's also based on writings. If you go back and look in the 16 and, and 1700s, uh, uh, you'll see references to locusts, big locust emergences on, in eastern United States, and they were calling them locusts. Well, that was because a lot of the folks that, that settled uh, that, you know, the eastern United States at that time came from Europe, and very specifically, a lot of them came from England and France and of course, England and France doesn't have – they don't have a periodical cicada. And uh, and when they arrived in the United States, the only thing they could come up with in terms of explanation was what was referenced in the Bible as locusts, which, of course, are grasshoppers. And what was referenced in the Bible were giant grasshopper emergences. And, 
And so that's where the name came from. Isn't that pretty uh, exciting? I, I do. I, no, you know what? That is an interesting story because you think about it, Mike. I still know lots of people who still call them locusts. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and you know, your gran- with- and you would have never corrected your grandfather and grandmother when they were referring to them as locusts. No, I don't no. care what degree you have and how deep well, your voice was. As a matter, <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's exactly right. How much authority you think you have? <laughs> yeah. you know? What did you say, Joseph Farrell? <laughs> well, and it's interesting because for years now I've come, got finally got over it, but for years I would slip into it because that's what I grew up hearing these called. And there's another story. Now, this is very interesting. This is for my grandfather, but I was talking to a gentleman a few weeks ago who grew up in southeastern Ohio, and it was interesting that he heard the same story. And that was to kind of further seal the idea that these cicadas were the biblical locusts. There are actually some species of periodical cicadas when you hear the male sing. <laughs> and you can go online and even read this. You it does sound like they're saying Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know. And my grandfather, you know, said that, the, well, that kind of further sealed, that further made it that these were the same locusts. And they were, you know, and with the locust plague, you know, that was, uh, again, referenced in the Bible. Was that uh, Grandpa Boggs or the other Grandpa? It was uh, Grandpa Boggs, and he, uh, he, he said that was, that was the curse. What was the know, other Grandpa's were, last name? Which... <laughs> Well, it's a, there's a bunch of America's This is West Virginia I grew up in, right? Well, I'm... <laughs> so, so at the end of the day. So, what was day, your mom's maiden name? Gibson. So was Grandma Grandpa Gibson? And Gran- I actually didn't. I didn't get didn't to know meet him. him. Okay, yeah, I didn't get to meet him. Right. Yeah, that was. Because uh, he avoided yeah. you. Yeah, you know, that was, you know, one step ahead of all, you know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get off on that. Hey, I don't know that real boy, quick, right? like, I had I had a ton of reports this past week, which is great, of people sending pictures of the six-spotted tiger beetle. Oh, man. Isn't they, that thinking they saw yeah. emerald ash borer, which was outstanding. Yeah. But one lady said she had put out a lavender-colored pot with water in the bottom, and they were coming to the lavender-colored pot. Well, now that's interesting. And I do remember when they first put out the Emerald Ashboard things, weren't they kind of purple in color? Well, they were. That's exactly so, so right. So I, I was going to ask you if there was yeah. a court, something about that. So think about it and come up with I an will. answer next week uh, as you are daydreaming or sleeping or whatever your horse's name is. <laughs> all right. Thank, see you, Joe. Thanks to all our callers. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Dr. Z for everything he does. Now do yourself a favor. Go out and plant a tree and make it the best weekend of your life. See ya. Landscaping made easier with your personal yard boy. He's in the garden, and he's Ron Wilson. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.